Hey guys, good morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 19. That's where we will read today, Psalm chapter 19. Uh, I am excited about this particular sermon series that we are doing. We are pausing for a month on the Gospel of John, and we are unpacking doctrine. We are answering the question today of who is God. Every year, for one month, we will take time out from whatever book that we are studying, and we will talk about doctrine and theology. And today, particularly, is called prolegomena, which is Latin for first things. So today, we are setting the stage for the rest of the month, and then this week we're talking about prolegomena, and then next week we are talking about God's triune nature and character, and then February 20th we will discover God the Father and God the Son, and then the last Sunday in February we will unpack God the Spirit. But I, but I know what some of you are, are asking or thinking to yourself, I think it was the same kind of question that we had during the Bible survey sermons is why in the world are we taking a month out of the Gospel of John to unpack theology and doctrine? I'm sure some people think that I probably slipped as a child and bumped my head or something. Uh, the reason is, is because of our mission statement that we want to make biblical disciples of Jesus Christ, biblical followers. And part of being a biblical follower is actually understanding truth, understanding doctrine, understanding what we actually believe. Most churches... In full disclosure, most churches would probably avoid a sermon series like this because churches often think people don't really care to know doctrine or they think people may not be lofty enough to hang in there. But I find that to be false in every respect. As I think about this church, one of the things that is true about this particular church is that we, we want to know truth. We want to know doctrine and how God's message is woven together. And so today... We unpack the doctrine of God and we will set the stage. So if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 19. If you see Psalm 19, there are really three parts to this psalm. Verses 1 through 6 describe how we can know God through nature. Verses 7 through 10 describe how we can know God through His Word. And then verse 11 through 14 is the psalmist's reaction to that. Psalm 19 verse 1 says this, The heavens are telling of the glory of the Lord. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the ends of the earth. And in them he has placed a tent for the sun. Look at that imagery. Which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, rejoices as a strong man to run its course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, a circuit is the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from his heat. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And this is the psalmist's reaction. Moreover, by them, by your word, your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. And then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. And let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Allow me to ask you the question, you here today, who is God? Who is 
the true God. How would you describe his character, his nature, his loving kindness? How would you answer the question, who is God? That is our quest for the next four weeks. My, my quest for us in the month of February is to answer the question, who is God? For us to have a good understanding of his character, his nature, and who he has revealed himself to be. But in order to really stay the course, in order not to drive off the theological cliff, today what we are doing is we are setting up guardrails. How many of you have ever driven a car on the side of a mountain, right? That is only slightly terrifying, and probably speaking, there are guardrails there. Why are there guardrails? So that you don't fly off the cliff to your doom, right? Well, that's kind of what we're doing today. Today is prolegomena. It is a Latin word for first things or to say before. Today we set up guardrails to help us organize and help us stay the course on answering the question of who is God. And today my sermon will have essentially three points. We will define theology, we will discern theology, and we will discover theology. We will define, discern, and discover theology together. That is what our guardrails are today. As I, I've had this sermon series, just to let you know, on my mind and on my heart for months now. I've been talking about it at least for two or three months with people. And in full transparency and honesty and full disclosure, I wish I had this sermon and this sermon series 15 years ago. Because 15 years ago, and up until the time I left for seminary, I thought that Theology, that systematic theology, that theology was for uh, special forces Christians, amen? Like for really smart, brainiac, super intelligent people. I didn't really think that systematic theology was for everybody. So what I, as a, fifth, as a 21-year-old young man, I, I kind of reserved doctrine and theology for the nerds, right? The seminary professors, the pastors, the, the really intellectual Christians, But then I went to seminary and I realized that theology is not reserved just for the really smart, but it's reserved for everyone. That we should all understand doctrine and who God truly is. That theology is not meant for special forces Christians, but it's meant for all Christians. You need to know doctrine. You need to know what you believe. You need to know truth. You need to know God and how He is so that you can know Him and so then you can know yourself. We are created in the image of God. And only until we know the image of God will we know ourselves. So today we see God. This whole month, all we are unpacking is who is God. As I've already mentioned, this week is prolegomena. Next week we'll be answering kind of the question, what is God's triune nature? and What is his character? We'll look at some attributes of God. And then the third week of February, we'll look at who is God the Father and God the Son. And then the final week in the sermon series, at the end of February, we will see who God the Spirit is. And today we set the stage, as I've already mentioned, we put up guardrails so we don't fly off the theological cliff into doom. So today we define theology, we discern theology, and we discover it together. So let us answer the question, what is theology? Let us define our terms. So we have this up here, the actual word theology comes from these, sorry I'm writing Greek up here quite literally, okay, 
So, super nerd. Okay, so this is the Greek word for God, and this is the Greek word for word, okay, or discourse. So, theology is really the combination of these two words. Theology is the discourse about God. In other words, what? Theology is the study of God himself. To kind of give you an idea, but there's... There's kind of more to theology than just a one broad kind of category. And if you think about theology, theology is the study of God. But you think about history, people were doing theology long before they were doing quantum mechanics and calculus. In fact, people have been doing theology ever since the Garden of Eden. People have tried to understand God and His nature. But within theology itself, if you had a whole circle up here, and this is... All of the theological categories, so to speak, there are really main, three main subset or subcategories within theology itself. You have these three. You have systematic theology. I'll define that what that is in just a moment. You have biblical theology and you have historical theology. Historical theology is the study of how Christians understood different doctrines throughout the course of church history. If you ever want to... pause. Okay, I'm... If I'm over your head, I'm sorry, I'm catching you up right here. If you want to know some resources on historical theology, there's a book called The Story of Christianity, Volume 1 and Volume 2 by Justo Gonzalez, The Story of Christianity. That really explains historical theology, explains how the church kind of arrived at our core theological doctrines. So you have historical theology, theology, which is the study of Christians and how they understood doctrine throughout church history. You have biblical theology. Now, what is that? Biblical theology is the study of doctrine within a particular part of the Bible. For example, this is an example of biblical theology. How did David in the Psalms understand the Spirit of God? That is a particular set of biblical books, Bible book, singular there, of how and a particular topic within that book. Okay, what is systematic theology? In a sense, systematic theology is broader. In a sense, systematic theology is really studying the Bible topically. It's really answering the question, what does the whole Bible say about that particular doctrine, that particular thing? Let me give you an example. Systematic theology would be saying, okay, what does the Bible say, the whole Bible say about angels? Or what does the whole Bible say about demons? That is the understanding of systematic theology. So catch this. So what are we doing this morning? Pause. If you looked at the front of your bulletin, it says Systematic Theology Month. Okay, so we're going to do this every year for a month. We're going to pause on whatever book we're doing, and we're going to just talk about doctrine. So what are we really talking about today? We're talking about what the whole Bible says about God for the month of February. So theology is the study of God, and then you have different subcategories within that. But then we must discern theology. We must understand how to think through doctrine itself. Let me just say this way. Okay. How do you know which doctrines are worth dying for? And how do you know which doctrines you can just agree to disagree? How many of you in this room have ever argued over the timing of the rapture? Pre, post, mid, or post. Okay. All right. How do you distinguish for that? Is that, is that really... Sorry. Uh, by the way, this part is really going to get me in trouble. I'm just saying, okay, I'm sure we're going to have lots of conversation in the hallway following the service today. But how do you know which doctrines are worth putting a stake in the ground and dying on the hill and which ones kind of aren't so much? I, I wish I had, especially this particular 
this particular section of my sermon, I wish I had this sermon 15 years ago because it would have saved me a lot of headache, okay? It would have saved me a lot of arguments. I was sitting, a number of years ago, I was sitting on a couch of a pastor and I was just talking to this guy, it was many years ago, and he kind of mentioned that this theologian is a mid-trib rapture, and he kind of looked at me like, kind of like this, like, this guy's a heretic, and I'm sitting there, is it really? I don't really understand. How do we distinguish between doctrines that are worth absolutely dying for, some that are important, and some that are ambivalent? By the way, I just gave you your three tiers to the pyramid. If you have your notes, I would encourage you to go to where the pyramid is, and I will, under, I will show you kind of how it all fits together. Now, this pyramid took me, in full disclosure, this pyramid took me 30-something years to put together. Okay, it took me a long time to figure out how do I actually think through doctrine? How do I distinguish between what is really, really important and what is ambivalent? And, okay, moving on. You have the top tier. Tier number one are your non-negotiable doctrines. Everything that is in the top tier right here is absolutely worth dying for. If you disagree with any of the tier one doctrines, you are a heretic and you have no place in Orthodox Church. Get out. Amen? Now, what are some examples of tier one doctrines? Bingo, one God, maker of heaven and earth, that Jesus, the salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. The triune nature of God, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. What else is non-negotiable? You have the inspiration and authority of scripture. What else do you have? You have the imminent return of Christ. Those are all, if you disagree with any of those, you have no place in Calvary Bible Church. Amen? There's the door. That's just the way it is. There are certain non-negotiable doctrines that we have got to put a stake in the ground and die for. But there are some doctrines that really we can agree to disagree on. Tier one are your non-negotiable doctrines. Those are your core doctrines. These, these are doctrines that people have died for. Tier two are your important doctrines. If you think about the difference, you cannot really be a Christian church and disagree with the top tier, but there are a lot of Christians that would disagree upon tier number two, which are important doctrines. Now, what, okay, how, how would I distinguish between tier one and tier two? What is the way I distinguish it? The way I distinguish between tier one and tier two is answering this question, can you be a Christian and believe that? Can you be a Christian and believe that? If you can be a Christian and, and, and not believe that, you're, then it's tier one. But if you can be a Christian and believe that, then it's tier two. For example, can you be a Christian and believe that the Bible is not written of God, is not authoritative, inspired by God? Of course not. You're, you're out of the church. But can you be a Christian? This is where I'm going to get in trouble today. Can you be a Christian and be a Calvinist? Yeah. Can you be a Christian and be an Arminian? Yeah, unless you lost it that day. Moving on. But <laughs> Sorry. Can you be a Christian and believe in a pre-mill, all-mill, or post-mill kingdom? Yeah. Can you be a Christian and believe in different timings of the rapture? Can you be a Christian and be dispensational theology or covenant theology? Can you be a Christian and believe in the cessation of spiritual gifts and non-cessation of spiritual gifts? Yeah. Can you be a Christian and believe it? That one question tells me, is it tier one or tier two? Tier three is ambivalent, okay? I, I really 
To be honest with you, I don't know if it's a great word for tier number three. The bottom tier right here is ambivalent. But I worked really hard on that one word to figure out what worked. And that's about as close as I could get. Ambivalent. In other words, what? You can have a fun conversation around your dinner table about ambivalent doctrines, but just don't get in an argument. It's not worth breaking unity over in the church. Can I, what are some ambivalent doctrines? And I'm not saying they're not important. I'm just saying ambivalent. What's that? Music. Very good. Thank you. Music. What type of? Good. Very good. What else? You think about the timing of the rapture. I would probably put that in there, and the boop, 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 arrows are flying at me at this moment. I would put the timing of the rapture. Is it pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? Who cares? It, God works it out. I'm a pre-trib, pre-mill, but at the end of the day, there are some theologians that actually argue over what type of intermediary body we have in between our death and the return of Christ. Like, really? Here, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that doctrine and knowing what you believe is not important. What I'm saying is, is that there are different levels of doctrine that you need to think through. Can you believe, be a Christian and believe it? That is really the ultimate filter that I use to really understand what doctrines are worth dying for or what doctrines really simply just aren't. So you have this tier. You have the ability to discern through doctrine, to kind of give you an example of this, if you think about this particular pyramid, tier one is the difference between Christians and heretics. Tier number two are the differences between denominations. You think about the differences between denominations. Right? A lot of it's tier two differences, baby, believer baptism, baptism versus baby baptism, all that kind of good stuff. And then you have the differences within denominations. It's kind of down here, KJV only, things like that. To help you think through this particular pyramid, I want you to think about eschatology. Now, if you're not familiar with the word eschatology, the word eschatology comes from the Greek word eschatos, which means last or end. So eschatology is the study of end times. It is the study of how the world comes to an end. What is God's plan for the future? I want you to think about all the eschatological doctrine that you probably have rolling around in your brain at this particular moment. What is the only absolutely non-negotiable doctrine of eschatology? Jesus wins. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Preach it. That is the only one. If you do not believe that Jesus will return, you have no business in the church. Amen. That is an essential, non-negotiable, I will die on the hill for that doctrine that Jesus' imminent return. But tier number two, what would be an example of that? I would probably put pre-mill, post-mill, and on-mill in this particular section. And then I would probably put the timing of the rapture in the ambivalent section. Now, if you hate me right now, it's okay. Just talk to me after the service today. I'm just trying to help. The, the point of this message is to set up guardrails. It's to help us not drive off the cliff of theology. To be honest with you guys, I wish I had this 30 years ago. I wish somebody 30 years ago or even 10 years ago would have sat down with me and explained this pyramid because I struggled so mightily to understand, okay, do I fight? Do I, do I really fight over pre-trib rapture? Do I really die on that hill? How do I distinguish between what is worth it and what is not worth it? How do I, do I break fellowship over this particular issue? This is a pyramid that I hope that you sock away in your mind, that as you talk to other Christians, you can say, okay, is that, can I be a Christian and believe this? If it's, if it's yes, then it's here. If it's no, then there will. Anyway, moving on. So then we define terms. Theology is the study of God. We discern theology. This is how I filter through the theological doctrines of the faith. 
And then the third piece is we discover theology. The third piece of my sermon today is to discover theology. And this is my question for the third part of my message, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. How has God revealed himself to us? How can we, how can we discover theology? How has God revealed himself to us? How do we know God exists? There are four main ways that God has revealed himself to mankind. We typically think of only two, but there's actually four different ways that God has revealed himself to mankind. Way number one, in the past, God revealed himself in dreams and in visions. Way number two is that God has revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 discusses this particular point. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Jesus is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So God has revealed himself in the past, in vision and dreams. He's revealed himself in his son. And what are the two ways that we think of most prominently that God has revealed himself to all of mankind? General revelation is special revelation, right? Fancy words for saying God has revealed himself in nature and God has revealed himself in his word, right? So way number three, if you have your notes, way number one is dreams. Number two is his son. Way number three is through nature. And way number four is through his word. The existence of God is clearly seen in nature. What does it say in Romans chapter 1? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what was made, so that we are without excuse. God has revealed himself in nature. I mean, how... There's, a, I believe, a book that is titled, I Do Not Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. I don't. Because how could you look at the world and deny that there is a maker and that there is a creator, that there is a sovereign God over all? That is insane to me that anybody can deny the very presence and existence of God. Whether you believe in a Christian God, okay, but just the fact that you can look at the sun and the moon and the stars. How could you ever deny that God does not, that God exists? I mean, I think about uh, my beautiful little children, they are fun and they are energetic and they make lots of messes and they drive us crazy. Can the parents in the room relate? Whew, man. But I think about my little nine-month-old Clara, that she started out as a single cell. That there is enough data in that single cell to create such a beautiful little human being. That is incredible. How could anybody deny that there is a creator and a maker of all things? 
God has revealed himself in nature, and God has revealed himself, way number four, in his word. That is called special revelation. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. God has revealed himself to all of mankind or to mankind in four different ways. And the reason I chose Psalm chapter 19 for our text this morning is because Psalm 19 really explores way number three and way number four. That in Psalm 19... The psalmist David explains how God has revealed himself in nature and how he has revealed himself in his word. So if you have your Bible, very quickly, I'm realizing the time at this hour, but very quickly we're going to just briefly look at Psalm chapter 19. And I'm really going to unpack verses 1 through 6. And then I'm going to give you a homework assignment for this week and then I will pray. Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1 says this, The heavens are telling of the glory of the Lord, and the expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Glory meaning, as we talked about last week, glory meaning the manifestation of God's holiness, God's holiness, God's separateness, the, the going publicness of God's holiness is His glory. The heavens are telling. The heavens are screaming of God's holiness and glory. And notice the second part of verse 1. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. The size of heaven, the heavens, the stars in the universe declares what? That not only the size and infinite nature of God, but that he is organized, that he is thoughtful, that he is intricate. But then notice verse 2. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. What is the psalmist saying here? Every day that the sun rises, it proclaims the glory and majesty in the existence of God. And let's just go a little bit further. The fact that the sun rises day after day after day tells me something about God's nature. That he is consistent. That he is thoughtful. That he is creative. That he is beautiful. That he loves us. Could you imagine living on this earth without sun? That would be a disaster. It would be a frozen planet. That God's thoughtfulness to create a sun for us to... Give, for it to give life to us, proclaims God's existence and glory. Notice verse 3 and 4. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their line goes throughout all the earth and their utterances to the ends of the earth, and in them he has placed a tent for the sun. I want you to notice particularly that last phrase, in them he has placed a tent for the sun. The psalmist knows that there is no voice of the heavens. Verses 3 and 4 modify verse 2. But David is not saying that the sun and the stars and the expanse literally speak. What he is saying is that all human beings that live on the earth can look at the stars and see their utterances and their influence and know that God exists. Their utterances go to the ends of the earth. But I want you to notice that last little phrase, in them he has placed a tent for the sun. That space itself creates a tent for the sun. That God is so big and so infinite, that he is so outside of the universe, and the universe is so, the expanse is so large, that the expanse of the heavens of the universe makes 
a tent for the sun, makes the sun look small and insignificant. FYI, the sun is a million times bigger than planet Earth. And here in verse 4, he's saying he placed a tent for the sun. Okay, how many of you have ever gone camping before? Okay, that means you were uncomfortable for one night. Okay, um, <laughs> with the rock sticking up in your back. That's my experience, and I love camping. Um, how many of you have ever camped in a large expanse, in a big valley? What's that? What's that like? You feel so what? Insignificant and small. I love the outdoors. I love hiking and exploring. I have a fetish with national parks. If you know me, I'm all about them and seeing them. Uh, but one time, about 10 years ago, my, my two brother-in-laws and I, David and Dustin, got the brilliant idea to go camping in Colorado. Okay, some of you say, that is a brilliant idea. But we went camping in Colorado in November. Not a good idea. Don't do that. Um, we literally slept on six feet of snow. It was absolutely miserable. But here we are in this tent, in this gigantic valley of mountains, feeling so small and insignificant. What's the psalmist's point? It's that God is so big and the universe is so large that it is so big that the sun, that it would act as a tent for the sun. That the sun is so small and insignificant compared to all of the universe around it. And that God is even bigger than the expanse itself. That God is infinite. That God is huge. He is consistent. He is thoughtful. Assignment number one for this week, and I'm going to recap this at the very, very end of my message, but I'm going to kind of talk about it really briefly right now. This week, my first assignment for you, if you really want to see God through nature, this is what I want you to do this week. I want you to watch a sunset. I want you to watch a sunset. And I want you to make a list of what that sunset tells you about the very nature of God. But then notice verses 7 through 10 as he describes the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than fine gold, than much, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. We know God most accurately through His Scripture. The Scripture, the Bible, does not describe everything about God, but it does describe everything we need to know about God. That God is out, He is infinite, He is, he is outside of the bounds of time and space. And he has given to us dots and dashes on a page called letters and words to reveal himself to us so that we can understand who he truly is. God has revealed himself in dreams, in his son, in nature, and in his word. Most specifically, here. This is how you know God. John chapter 17, verse 3. This is eternal life. That they may know you. God wrote the scripture so that you can know him. That you are not just walking around blind in this world, seeing that there is a God in the universe through the Son, but that you can understand who He is and how He saved you and how He loves you and His loving kindness that never ceases. But what's the problem specifically here in Psalm 19? What's the problem? Here in Psalm 19, what do you see? We do not see really in Psalm 19 the character of God. We see more of the character of His Word. 
that God's word is perfect, that God's word is sure, God's word is right, God's word is pure, God's word is clean, God's word is true, God's word is desirable. And what are the results of reading God's word? It restores the soul, makes wise the simple, rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes, endures forever. God's word is righteous through and through. Psalm 19 describes God's special revelation, but really doesn't describe God through his special revelation. But kind of does at the same time. Because God's word is perfect, then what does it tell you about our Father? Today we define theology. It is the study of God. We discern theology. We look to how do we think through different doctrines of the faith. And if I'm in trouble for that one, just come talk to me. It's cool. The way we can argue, we can disagree, agree to disagree. And then number three... Today, I wanted to, for you to discover theology. How can we truly know God? So this is my assignment for you this week. I have two. I've already mentioned the first one, but I'm going to give you a second one right here, right now. Assignment number one is this. I want you to see God in nature. I want you to see how he has revealed himself through the expanse and the sun. So my assignment for you is to, this week, this week, today, preferably, because we don't get up for sunsets anymore, um, but we do see sun, sun rises, but we do see sunsets. Okay. This is what I want you to do. I want you to watch a sunset this week. And I want you to make a list of ten things. Ten things that that sunset tells you about God. So watch a sunset, and I want you to make a list of ten things that that sunset tells you about God. You got me? And then assignment number two, I want you to read two different passages of Scripture, and I want you to make a list of each. I want you to read Isaiah chapter 40. If you have not read Isaiah chapter 40, it is awesome. It talks about the sovereignty and the majesty and the glory of God, His holiness, His greatness. Psalm 40, I want you to read Psalm 40 this week, and I want you to make a list of ten things that Psalm 40 tells you about God. And then I want you to read Isaiah 53. And I want you to make a list of ten things that that chapter describes about God. So you got me? So assignment number one is to watch the sunset and make a list of ten things. Assignment number two is to read Isaiah 40 and Isaiah chapter 53 and make a list of ten things that it tells you about God and his nature. Today was prolegomena. We set up guardrails. We have a general understanding of how to think through theology, what theology is, And how do we actually discover who God is? And that was my point today. Allow me to close with a quote, and then I will briefly share something, and then we will pray. It says, No Christian can avoid theology. Every Christian is a theologian. Perhaps not a theologian in a technical or professional sense, but a theologian nonetheless. The issue for Christians is not whether we are going to be theologians, but whether we are going to be good theologians or bad theologians. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is what the message of the Scripture proclaims. His special revelation to us, how he's revealed himself in the Scripture, one of the ways he has revealed himself is through his Son, and his Son came into this earth to die for our sins. Amen? That if we would believe in him, that we shall be saved. Some of you today have been running from God for years. Let me just say it this way, though. But you, some of you today have been running from God for years, but you do not know it. You don't even recognize it. But you have relegated God to a compartment in your mind so that God can be ushered in whenever you feel like it. But God is a God who loves you. He wants all of you. He sent his son to die for you. 
If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, he gives you eternal life by faith in him, that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Amen? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and and how we can really know you. And Lord, I know that this sermon series will be a bit heavy. It's going to be a little bit different. I know churches would avoid this a lot of times. But Lord, it's important. It's important to understand what we believe and why we believe it. Lord, it's part of being a biblical follower of Christ. is to understand doctrine, understand who you are. Because only until we understand who you are can we then know you and then know ourselves because we bear the image of God. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you that they would support this. And I thank you for, uh, Lord, I do thank you for all those that are online. There are many saints that have attended here for decades that are unable to be here physically for many reasons. I just pray for them and pray for comfort for them. I pray that they would feel your love and know your love. Thank you for this morning. I thank you that we can gather and worship and to understand who you are. We lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.